Welcome to the Family Matters Podcast, where we answer the tough questions about divorce and separation, empowering you to make better decisions for yourself and your family. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of the Family Matters Show. I'm your host, Benjamin Bryant from Bryant McKinnon Lawyers, and I'm very happy to be here again with my business partner, Heather McKinnon. Here we are again, Heather. Are you happy to be back in the recording room? Yeah, always happy to be here sharing our knowledge with the community. And today, we are not alone. We are joined by a terrific guest to talk to us about the world of private investigators and how and when they get involved with family law cases. Steve Wallace is the Managing Director of SWA Recovery and Investigation Group, which operates in Coffs Harbour, Kempsey, Newcastle, Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne. He holds a Master Commercial Private Inquiry Agent Licence and has been licensed in the industry since 1982. So he brings us almost 40 years of experience in private investigation and recoveries. Over the last decade, he has developed the SWA brand, aiming to offer a complete recovery approach. His agencies service banks, credit unions, finance companies, other commercial and investigation agencies throughout Australia, and of course, legal firms like ours. We quite often turn to Steve and his team to assist us in matters, and we are delighted to have him join us on today's show. Welcome, Steve. It's great to have you with us today. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for the invitation. And Heather, I'm very happy to be here. We've got so much to talk about today, so we better get started. But before we do, I just wanted to remind everyone out there that you can send us questions in confidence to matters at bryantmckinnon.com.au or message us on Facebook. And please do share this show with any friends and family who might be starting out on the rather scary journey of separation. The earlier we can be there to provide the answers, the better. Heather and Steve, are you ready? Yep. Absolutely. Excellent. Steve, I think most of us think of Magnum PI or Sherlock Holmes when we hear the words private investigator. Can you give us some insight into what a real-life private investigator really does on a day-to-day basis? Well, as an investigator, um, we get involved in all types of different matters, mainly with solicitors and especially in the family law area. We get involved in locating people, missing assets, trying to sort out whether or not assets or exist or don't exist, but primarily our focus is on missing persons and, uh, and that kind of covers a lot of different areas. It covers service of documents, it covers investigations, it covers locating witnesses for court cases. So that's our primary role. And what are some of the common misconceptions that people have about PIs? Well, one of the biggest misconceptions is there's a lot of men hanging around in trench coats, which is, <laughs> which is not I must the, admit I thought of that. <laughs> which is not the case. I mean, 90% of our team are female. There's only two males in the whole business. We have a team which is very diverse. We have our own in-house psychologist, our own criminologist in-house. Um, so there's very few agencies that have the, the kind of quality of people that we have and most of our people have been with us a very long time. One of the biggest misconceptions I find in the family law area is the misconception where people believe that they have to physically accept a document by hand. Trying to evade service or something. Yeah, trying to evade yeah. service and, and they see it on television quite often where somebody goes up and they serve the document and they go, you're served. Well, that's not the case in Australia. You can leave the documents at people's feet. There's all different methods of service, but to physically have to touch it is not required. That's one of the biggest myths. Yes, Steve, just for our um, listeners, uh, service is about 
making sure that if you're taking your ex-partner to court, they know you're doing it. So uh, Steve's role in our practice or his team is that when we file court documents, we then send them to Steve's crew and they then go about making sure that the person who is on the other side of the case uh, knows that they've got to come to court. And as Steve said, if you've got a resistant spouse, they can get up to all sorts of fun and games thinking that it's like television if they run away from the person who's got the documents that they'll somehow be able to get away with facing what's happening at court. So it's really interesting the sort of stories that you tell us about when people have that magical idea that it's all like on telly and if they can sprint. I remember years ago one that you did for us was a surgeon who you had to go and find him in a hospital and he was just constantly going into the operating theatre saying, no, nobody can come and get me, like it was a circus. Yeah, it is really interesting, the sort of work that you have to do for us. And I think the message also, Heather, is you can run but you can't hide (laughs) because, of course, what the rules of the court provide is that you try and attempt personal service for particular documents. But if Steve and his crew can't find or locate or they successfully evade service somehow, then, of course, the applicant can make an application for what's called a substituted service order, which kind of does away with Steve and his team. And that's when you hear about stories about being served through Facebook or Instagram or, you know, whatever the case, or you might even be able to send by registered post to the paternal grandmother or something like that. So you can run, but you can't hide. (laughs) And that it is important to know that the first step is getting Steve's crew to try and find the person. So if Steve does a report to us to the judge that says, well, these are the things my crew have tried and we can't find them, then we can go to that process. So it's it's a really fascinating world when people are in denial. Yeah. And Steve, you mentioned before, and we certainly see on movies and popular fiction, um, you're involved in... um, in cases, you know, where you need some evidence of cheating or adultery. Is that actually the case on a day-to-day basis for you? And if so, how, how do you deal with that? Look, what, there, what do you do? There wouldn't be a day, Ben, goes by that somebody doesn't ring us wanting that kind of service. We try to steer people away from that type of thing. It's not our bread and butter as far as our industry is concerned. Well, our business is concerned. We kind of tell people they should go and see either their marriage counsellor or go and see their solicitor. An investigator is only going to either give you more of a headache or a very large bill for kind of telling something that you already really know and expect. Fuel for the fire, but the fire <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> man. You know, it's, 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 you know, there's no fault divorce. I mean, it's other than knowing or feeling some desperate need to know what your partner's up to. It seems pretty pointless. Yeah, but it is, as you said, it is incredible how when a marriage is, or a relationship's failing, the person in denial will go to huge lengths to pretend it's not happening or to want to prove what they already know is happening. So both of us, as you said, Steve, get calls all the time and um, it's still all these 40 or 50 years after no-fault divorce, people are absolutely convinced that if they can prove that their partner's doing the wrong thing, they'll somehow get a prize for that. I mean, and it's a hard part of your job to tell people, no, it's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, we, we try to discourage them, but look, if they're absolutely insistent, we, we will do the job. I mean, there was um, a couple of famous cases here around this area where people have spent 
enormous amounts of money to prove something that they already knew was happening but they just wanted it on tape and they wanted it, some physical evidence of it. And I suppose there is a role because it can sometimes be the way that people come to an acceptance of the end of the relationship. So it is a finely balanced decision that you have to make with the client. If it is something that people really want to bring out into the open, then they have a right to employ your agency to try and prove it. Absolutely, yeah. Steve, another thing that you said that you did was track down hidden assets to ensure that property settlements are fair and above board. Can you explain to our listeners what's involved in tracking assets and income? Locating assets are fairly difficult investigations because they can be hidden in all types of places. Some of the investigations we've done recently are mainly focused around businesses which are normally family-owned, husband and wife owns the business. They separate one or the other gets the business and then there's some argument about the value of that business. We've had people hiding stock, putting things in different locations, and it's our job to basically find that stock or those locations and say, hang on, these assets are located in this place. Or you go into a premises and they say that there's no stock and you walk into a stock room or similar and you find the shelves floor to ceiling with stock Mm. and totally undervalued. So our job there is basically to find the evidence and then pass it back to you guys to then to get the valuers in and go, well, hang on, there's assets at this location. You need to go and value those. Without mentioning names, are you prepared to offer us an example? Recently, I suppose the one up in Queensland was, it was a divorce, but it was a business that they basically walked away from, from a major franchiser and they opened up two doors down, but the husband opened the business up, not the wife. He took all the assets and claimed that there was no assets to the business and we basically went in and we hired some equipment to get serviced, to get in there, and this was not a a small operation. This was major trucking and mining equipment. So we had to hire this stuff to drive in there to get it serviced so we could get inside the workshop to have a look and see where the assets physically were. And, yeah, yeah, it worked out pretty well in the end. And that's hidden assets, Steve, and I know we spoke briefly before we recorded about hidden income. You gave a great example when it was actually a beautician that was doing things off the books. Did you want to tell our listeners Um, about that Yeah, that was a a famous case from years ago and uh, the gentleman in question had had a, a very serious accident and his wife had looked after him for a number of years after the accident and then basically become fed up with looking after him and they separate and divorced. Part of the divorce settlement was he got the house and she got some of the other assets and she moved away here to the coast. Now, after the, about two years, there was a massive settlement for his injury. She found out about the settlement and then she went back and claimed half the settlement, which was in the millions. So she claimed she was unemployed, had no income. The solicitor got us engaged and he said to us, look, we believe that she's running a business from this location. We believe it's some kind of beauty business. We need to get in there. So at that stage, we only had, I think, four investigators on the team and only one female. So we sent Tracy in to to do the job. So over a two, three-month period, Tracy had nails, hair. She always jokes that she didn't have any hair left on her body after this. (laughs) But she basically befriended this woman and to the point where she learnt that there was a second set of books connected with this business that this woman's claimed that she had no income on and eventually it all came out before the court and 
she basically got caught out lying and it was quite a bit. Poor Tracy said, you know, it was always our standard joke that she had no hair left on her body. (laughs) The things you do for work. (laughs) People do let down their guard. I was involved in one a long time ago where a team of investigators came in but the agency sent in all young women who were chartered accountants but the business who was being investigated had a little bit of a naivety about what young women can do so they thought these people were just there recording some numbers but over a period of time they were able to establish a massive undisclosed source of income and it is an interesting role isn't it that part of um, what you do is take people off guard they let down their guard they 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 deal with you know what that um, common idea is in the community that young women don't have brains and wouldn't know what was happening and and Sure enough, <laughs> it works nearly every time. Certainly not with our team. <laughs> yeah. um, our team, are, you know, we've got some great people that work for us and um, we have one girl, Cassie, um, who is probably one of the best agents that I've ever come across and she's only a young woman and the amount of people that she's caught out uh, is just unbelievable. You know, they just do not expect her um, to be a process server or an investigator or anything like that. Yeah. And Steve, sometimes people want to be able to present to the courts evidence of domestic violence, child abuse or neglect. Do private investigators offer services in that area? Absolutely, Ben. We've worked here in Coffs Harbour a, a number of times with child protection. There's this situation where they go to court and the children are either hidden away because the people are usually are aware that they might lose their their child by this stage. So they hide them away or they'll send them somewhere that they can kind of disappear after the court case. Mm. Now, we've worked with a couple of organisations where we will do the surveillance right up on the morning of the court case. We know where the child is. If the orders are granted by the court, we've got our eyes on the children 100% of the time and basically then docs and that yeah. get involved. To and, affect the yeah. orders immediately. It's an important job. It's a sad job, but it's important, especially from the child's point of view. And that surveillance work, just finding out from neighbours and people like that what the level of conflict is in a house, I imagine in those cases is really important to get a brief together um, of evidence for a judge. It's uncomfortable, but we need to do it sometimes. Yeah, look, family law is never easy in a lot of circumstances and we come across some cases that you just really don't want to be involved in but, you know, it's it's needed and um, our team, whilst they kind of cringe at some of the things they see, it's important that they deliver the evidence. Mm. And Steve, we've had questions from our listeners about what to do if they wanted to get a divorce but their partner has disappeared or perhaps they haven't had contact with them for years. How can private investigators help in that situation? Well, what we do, I mean, the industry term for it is is skip tracing, which is kind of an industry-specific term for a missing person. So we would go about locating a person um, using our electronic systems to start with. We have a suite of data tools that gives us access to all kinds of records and that. Now, these records, some are public, some aren't. 
But the cost of having these data records is fairly prohibitive. We have one particular database search that costs us $1,200 a month just to have access to it. And that's just one tool of many. So we basically will get a set of instructions to locate somebody. Now, we had one early last year was a, a Chinese man and we had to locate him and he'd moved from China to New Zealand then New Zealand to Australia. Now, we worked on that case for probably about eight weeks and we finally found him down in Adelaide. Mm. And when we found him, he was just amazed that we'd found him and he said, look, I haven't seen my sister for 40 years. I know she's here in Australia. Can you help me? So it, it kind of was a bit of a chain. So Mr Wu, and it's on our website, you can see the whole story there. He engaged us to find his sister who incidentally after 40 years was living in Adelaide oh. <laughs> as well. So they were only like about four suburbs apart, yeah. which are, it's just amazing. But anyway, we located her as well and, uh, yeah, they've been a happy family ever since. One of the ones that you did for us a few months ago was uh, locating a young mother we needed to serve and I just love the fact that you can access social media and in that case your crew were able to look at her social media photos and work out that she was renting a unit because the photos came up on realestate.com and your database identified them. And I just go, that is unbelievable. That that generation can't help. Even if they're in hiding, they've still got a post. <laughs> Probably the most memorable case in our business and it always takes us back is a few years ago we were asked to find the deceased estate and this particular lady had died. She was very elderly. She'd never married. And prior to her death, she had lived with her brother and he'd never married. But both of them were professionals. They had independent lives and they'd accumulate a lot of wealth between them. Properties at Pearl Beach, the Upper North Shore, they had commercial properties. There was in excess of $10 million worth of assets. She left the entire fortune to three children that she'd met in 1972. Now, the only thing we had on this particular case was three names, Christian names only, not surnames, and an address from 1975 where she'd corresponded with them in Christmas cards. So we went back, and it was in Brisbane, and we went back and we tracked through all the records. It was just, it was the way that electoral roll records back in those days were kind of collated was just mind-blowing. So we've gone back through all these things trying to find this surname. Anyway, it took us months and the house where they had lived had been pulled down, renovated, pulled down, renovated three times. So there was this succession of owners and people. Living. So eventually we linked into what we believed as the surname and once we found the surname, we then found the parents and once we found the parents, we found the children. Pick me, pick and me. The three, <laughs> and the three kids. Now, the whole reason why she left them the money was in 1972, her and her brother went on a camping holiday over Christmas and this family saw them on their own and said, join us for Christmas. So they joined them for Christmas. They had a great time. They corresponded over a three-year period and then in 75 they lost contact. Mm. So, um, you know, we always laugh. The moral to the story is be kind to everybody. You never know. (laughs) 
Great story. Steve, you mentioned before the electoral roll search and you've mentioned a very expensive platform that you use. What are some of the ways so our listeners know how they're being tracked and that you can locate people? What are some of the, the systems that you can access? Well, tenancy databases is, is one of the systems we access. So we can see where people can rent. We don't use the electoral roll very often, though these days the electoral roll, believe it or not, is cross-referenced with RTA records and things like that. So... It's a source, but knowing the information and proving where they are is the key to it. Mm. We have systems where we can trace through phone numbers, we can trace through names, we can bring up the websites and find out who created a website and look at the website back when it was first created, when you're doing business investigations. If something goes wrong in the business at this time period and people disappear and you know, we're busily trying to track them down for commercial reasons. We go back to websites when they were created, when people were out promoting themselves mm. and yeah. putting pictures of themselves on the web posts. and, yeah, public <laughs> posts and podcasts. things like that. So, yeah, yeah, podcasts. So you can build a picture back from, you know, back 10 years ago and kind of develop pictures from there. We can ping phone numbers to establish whether they're still connected. It doesn't tell you where they're connected. It just tells you that, yes, it is connected, it's active, it's held by Telstra. So you know that if somebody says this number's not working, we can actually ping it and say, well, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. So we've used that in affidavits, especially the family court. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's where we link in with family law quite often. And this is what they talk about, Heather, when they talk about digital footprints. (laughs) (laughs) I love this job. (laughs) Um, And Steve, one final question. Do you have any advice for someone who is considering employing a private investigator in a family law matter? If it's for a purpose where it's going to provide good evidence that is relevant, people ask us about doing surveillance. And one of the things I say to them, there is no relevance to the court case if we provide evidence that they're cheating or Mm. doing this. We often say, look, if you're you're insistent about doing this surveillance or doing this type of work, let us talk to your solicitor first because I like to talk to solicitors and say, well, what do you need? What is going to be admissible? And there's no point in us taking your money to do this job if it's going to be irrelevant to you and of no help to the solicitor. That's right, yeah. Yeah. It's not not a moral assessment, you know, with... Property, it's what is just and equitable and with parenting, it's what's in the best interest of children. So it actually doesn't matter, you know, how they're cheating or who's cheating and who they're cheating with. That's right. Those types of things. I do remember one that just came to mind that Steve was involved in like decades ago, but um, we were trying to show that this high-functioning dad um, had a chronic alcohol dependency and Steve's crew were able to surveil the house and the garbage and it was unbelievable. There was like, you know, something like 10 bottles of wine a night consumed by an adult in a house. Mm. And we were looking to put little kids in that house. So it is fascinating when you think about it. But it's that critical thing. What do you need the evidence for? What does the judge need to know about the family that isn't before the judge at the moment. And look at if you see Steve by a recycling bin. Or with a bottle of wine. <laughs> All right, Steve, thank you so much. That was so interesting. Thank you for giving us a sneak peek into your world. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for the invite. Steve, just like to thank you for all the work that you and the team have done over the years. It's really helped us develop a really good practice and we know that our clients are in safe hands when we bring you on board. Thanks, Heather. We've had a long association and we really appreciate the effort you guys go to and uh, we really enjoy working with you. And we'll continue to do so. 
What a fabulous show. Heather, our little podcast program keeps getting better and better. And next month, we are taking a break from podcasting, so there won't be a new show in April. But in May, Heather and I will be back discussing a red-hot topic in family law, and that's the property settlement. The two of us are putting our thinking caps on and we'll be sharing our top tips and tricks for getting a good property settlement. We'll also touch on how the COVID pandemic has affected values and settlements and house prices. Be sure to listen in if you are in the midst of working through a property settlement. And please let friends and family know who might be in this situation about the upcoming episode. If you have specific questions you would like us to ask about your property settlement, then please feel free to either message us on Facebook or email familymatters at bryantmckinnon.com.au. So long as your question comes in before we record the show in mid-April, we will try to work an answer into the program. Hope you enjoyed today's show and we look forward to our next podcast in May. In the meantime, of course, we have a whole library of great podcasts available for your listening pleasure. Goodbye for now. The information provided on this podcast is general in nature and not a substitute for personal legal advice. We recommend you consult an accredited family law specialist.